Romans chapter number 8, if you find your place there, Romans chapter number 8, and we'll delve into this evening's message, continue in this wonderful passage. Uh, Brother Dick's going to be coming down the, the middle aisle, and uh, he has some outlines if you'd like to, if you need one, would like to follow along, I'd encourage you to get his attention, and uh, as we uh, delve a little bit deeper into it, and uh, get through a little bit more of chapter 8, man, I love the, I love the chapter, and uh, I was on the website and uh, checking out uh, some things there and looking at some sermons and things, and I noticed that we're up to sermon number 47 in Romans, amen? And uh, sermon number 47 through chapter 8, that means we only got 100 left, okay? So uh, we'll get through here eventually, but no, I've enjoyed it. I hope you have too. It's been challenging and encouraging all along the same lines, and uh, uh, really deep in faith. I, uh, the title here, and we probably you probably have, uh, haven't thought about it much, but a rock solid and rock founded faith and really that's what Romans is all about Paul is trying to encourage each of us as believers to have a rock-solid faith and of course a rock-solid faith has to be founded upon the rock Jesus Christ and uh, so that's what Paul's establishing here. Real quick on your outline, and just to kind of bring us up to speed where we're at, you see it here. And number one, we've looked at this already, the new reality, thanks to the new law. Verse number, uh, I believe that's verse number two, speaks of the law of the spirit of life, replacing the law of the flesh in you and I as believers. So it's a new law, and we talked about all those freedoms we had, found in, chapter, in verses one through four, and we won't re- rehearse those uh, this evening, but we found those. And then we went on to Roman number two last week the new nature and that's thanks to the new life that we have and it's a a life with spiritual focus we made note of this he paul starting in verse 5 is contrasting the carnally minded christian and the spiritually minded person specifically not just minded but the spiritually alive person and the spiritually dead person and so we have a different focus he uses that word minds uh or mind excuse me and we define that here letter a a carnal mind versus the spiritual mind it's referencing our thinking one's bent or reasoning in one's thought patterns. It carries the idea of affections. Now remember, we drew, we, we brought in Romans chapter 12 and verse 3 where that same Greek word is defined as think and thinketh and, and such. So it deals with our thinking. Then Colossians chapter 3 and verse number 2 Set your affections on things above. And it's the same Greek word. So when he talks about that here, for they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh after the spirit, those that are after the spirit, the things of the spirit, he's talking about our thinking, our affections. And so he's really laying the groundwork for us to see this new life and its new spiritual focus. Then we ask this question, how do we characterize someone that's in the flesh? And we saw this. First, they are at home in the pursuit of the lust of the flesh and the desires of the world. So that's where they feel, feel the most comfortable. We understand that. And that describes the, the carnal person, the carnally minded person, uh, the unsaved, the unbeliever. Number two, we saw this. Their utmost delight is found in, those, in the worldly satisfaction of those lusts and desires. The fulfillment found in the world of those fleshly lusts and desires. That's what they like. That's what they enjoy. And that's where the delight is found. Then we saw this, number three. And uh, their minds are consumed with the contemplation of the world's ways literally their chief meditations their chief reflections literally the curriculum for their life is found in what the world has to offer they're consumed their minds are you and i as believers we're told to have our minds renewed by god's word the world's minds are consumed with the things of the world the fulfillment of the lust and the desires and such then last but not least we 
saw this number four, they are moved to act upon and indulge in the world's appealing ways. It's literally what they promote and what they pursue. And so we summed it up. If you remember last week, we summed it up with this statement. The unbeliever is void of the spirit. We'll talk more about that even this evening in verse uh, in the verses upcoming. Void of the spirit of God and lives in the flesh and lives for the flesh. And that would be what we would consider their natural bent. In other words, as we went on to describe, uh, Paul says, listen, that, that's where, where they're directed. That's the direction and their affections and their thinking. It's this way after the world. And uh, I love this verse. And I want to mention it again, First Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 11, Paul speaking to the church. There, he says, listen, such were some of you, but ye are washed. Ye are sanctified. Ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. And he's making a contrast. He says, listen, believer, you and I are not like that anymore. And literally these verses, we said this, these verses are detailing for us the diametrically opposed orientations of the carnal person and the spiritual person. Okay. Now understand what, what, when we say orientation, we gave a little example last week at the end of the message and uh, orientation is simply divine as setting or determining direction or position. In other words, if you walk in here tonight and say, listen, we're going to rearrange things in the auditorium. We're going to put the, uh, the pulpit over here and the piano over here. And we're going to face, I mean, we literally would say, okay, now we're going to reorientate the pulpit. And uh, maybe some of you wives have your husbands do that with chairs and sofas and everything else and pictures and so forth. Okay. It's the idea of changing a direction uh, or position okay that's literally what happens when you and i are saved we are reorientated if i may use that word we have a new orientation and paul is describing that for us here uh, there's such a difference between the old nature and the new nature there's suffered such a difference between an unbeliever and a believer and paul's expounding upon that contrast and he continues to do so look at verse number six notice this statement it's a great one he says this and we'll back up verse five for they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh but they that are after the spirit the things of the spirit verse 6 notice this statement for to be carnally minded is death but to be spiritually minded is life notice it would just simply put it this way and letter b a carnal person is dead while a spiritual person is alive that's literally what Paul is saying for us. And it's right to say that, that sin and fleshly living lead to death. Paul's already established Romans 6.23 where he says the wages of sin is death. He, he's established that. In fact, we know this verse well. And, and it's so very true. Isaiah chapter 59 and verse 2. But your iniquities, your sins, your, your transgressions have separated you uh, or so, from God, between you and God. And your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear now i want you to understand even isaiah brings in this reality when we are uh, have not trusted in christ we understand that sin is death that paul's established that and yet when you and i are believers the fact is this we might better put it this way you and i get a taste of death have you ever said something like this man i was so sick i i thought i was gonna die i i, I thought man i i was I, my statement is this i felt like death warmed over Okay, I, we, we will describe it in some ways like, man, I, I you know, some, some of us may be at the point so sick, like I wish I'd just die. <laughs> you know, God, just take me home now. And, uh, that description, now we're really dead. No, but can I tell you, you, you may have thought for a moment you were tasting death. 
Well, for a believer, Isaiah brings up a good point. He says this, listen, not only in eternity has your sin separated from God, but you know when you and I come to trust Christ and, and that uh, spiritual death, eternal spiritual death is dealt with, the reality is this, there are times we allow sin in our life that separate us from God and He doesn't hear our prayers. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. And it brings up a great truth, because what is separation from God? That's spiritual death. So our sins cause us, there's, I love the song, the hymn, because it is a vivid reminder, nothing between, nothing between the Savior and I, nothing between my God and me. I mean, that's the description of the song, the, what we sing about. I don't want anything between, because that is like tasting a little bit of death. It's not that we're going to die in our sins. Uh, Christ has already taken care of that. We put our faith and trust in Him. But reality is, man, when you and I have sin in our lives and we are separated from God, you know what it ought to feel like to you and I as Christians? Like the taste of death. Like a little bit of death. To be separated from God. I don't know about you, but I sure don't like it when I know that my ceilings go no farther than the ceiling because of sin in my life. I don't like it when I know and the Holy Spirit's within me and He's convicting me because there's something in my life, there's sin present that is keeping me from fellowshipping, from communing with God. My friend, that is like death. It's a taste of it. Because what do we look forward to eternity the most about? Or most about eternity? Being with God forever. And it is sin that separates us. So there is even a little glimpse of that now in this passage that Paul is pointing out. And, and boy, we ought to be reminded, we ought to rejoice that now, whoa, our state or our status is that we are alive. We know God and we fellowship with Him and we commune with Him. You see the next statement on the outline. It's pretty simple. Paul is speaking of and emphasizing the present state of a person. Specifically, the unbeliever, he is literally dead right now. Yes, he may be walking around, but spiritually he is dead. Carnal thinking is indicative of this truth. So notice what Paul's connecting. He's connecting some dots. He said, listen, they're spiritually dead and as they are spiritually dead, what is their thinking? It's carnal. It's fleshly. That's their lust and the desires, as we just described. And all those things that fulfilling and satisfying their worldly lust and desires, that's who they are. Paul described you and I in Ephesians as being what before we were saved? Being dead in our trespasses and sins. It's not that we were physically dead. We were spiritually dead because of our sins before we came to know Christ. And so now is the unbeliever. An unsaved person might be moral, quote-unquote, on some level. In fact, they might even be religious. But if they don't have Christ, they are dead spiritually. Each one of us have met a lot of religious people, good moral people, that don't know Jesus Christ. And the reality is they are dead spiritually. That's their present state. But praise be to God, you and I as Christians, we're alive spiritually. We have life in Christ. We're enjoying today, now don't miss this, because sometimes we forget this truth. You realize that today we are enjoying the beginning of the gift of salvation. From the moment that you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, your everlasting life began. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life the moment you trusted christ 
praise be to Him, your everlasting life started. Not physically, that, it, 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 barring the rapture, not physically, but praise be to God spiritually. We were restored to Him, reconciled. And you and I are enjoying that today. We are alive spiritually. So let me ask you this. Okay, that's all great, Pastor Henry. That's great theology and great doctrinal truth. But how does that practically apply? And how does it come to fruition in my life today? What am I supposed to take away from that? Or here's how it plays out every day. And I think this is so very good for us to understand. If I have everlasting life today, and I'm enjoying that in Jesus Christ, there's not only benefits for eternity, but there's benefits today. If I am no longer carnally minded, but I am spiritually minded, there are things Things that are happening in my day, my heart, my life, my mind today, that I am reaping the benefits of my salvation. And Paul brings up some great truths. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter number 2. Hold your spot here, obviously. 1 Corinthians chapter number 2. Paul writing to the church at Corinth. We've referenced many verses out of this uh, book already, or these two books together. 1 Corinthians chapter number 2. Look down with me to verse 12. We'll read slowly if I can do that. We'll read verses 12 through 16, all right? 1 Corinthians chapter number 2. Look at verse number 12, okay? 1 Corinthians, and I'm in 2 Corinthians. That's no fun. 1 Corinthians chapter number 2. Look at verse 12 with me, if you will. Notice what Paul writes. Now we have received... Not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God. That we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. Now Paul's making a distinction, much like he does in Romans chapter 8. He's saying, listen, believer, and he's talking to a church in Corinth that was known as carnal. We'll see that here in a few moments. He's saying, believer, you and I have now the spirit that has enabled us to know some things that are freely given to us of God. Verse 13, which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth. Now listen, you may not have understood this, and you may not have ever articulated this, but tonight, Christian, you ought to be thankful that every day you go to a classroom where the Holy Spirit is the teacher. Where He enlightens us and He illuminates us with the truth of God's Word. He teaches us those things that that God has given freely, but that only the spiritual being can understand. A spiritual person. Notice Notice how Paul continues. But which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. Verse 14. But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God. For they are, what's the next word? Foolishness. They are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. Man, this is, you know what this is saying? You have to have credentials. You have to have uh, qualified to be able to get this. And what is the qualification? Be a Christian. Be spiritually alive. Be of the Spirit of God. Notice verse 15. But he that is spiritual judgeth all things. And literally the, the implication by Paul is he judgeth it on a spiritual level. Yet he himself is judged of no man. For who hath known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. One of the great truths about the gospel, Jesus Christ says, listen, after I'm gone, the the comforter will come. He'll lead you into all truth and he'll speak of me, Christ. And you know what you just heard there, what we just read? But we have the mind of Christ. 
the Holy Spirit indwelling us and helping us to grasp and understand. Let me just put it in maybe some more practical understanding of what occurs on a daily basis for you and I. See, today, you and I are enjoying understanding beyond our own natural ability to understand the things of God. That is due, and thanks to the Holy Spirit. He opens, truly opens our minds and heart to comprehend spiritual things. Such truths that are foolishness to the carnal mind, the unsaved person. He is the greatest teacher and tutor. He is amazing in his ability to help us understand the spiritual truths in God's Word. You know, you and I, we can read a verse. We can open the Scriptures. And may I just say, uh, interject here. I, I think one of the greatest things that you and I can do is often, and this may sound simplistic and basic, is often reflect on the Word of God. I think it's so crucial for you and I to throughout the day, and I, I like to subscribe to email, uh, email lists that send out like a devotion or a Bible verse or things like that. So they just pop up, and, and every day I can look on an email, or I can look on my phone, and a Bible verse pops up. I like that because you know what it's doing? It's keeping God's Word in front of us. We're refreshing our minds, and, and boy, we can get carried away with the busyness of the day, and sometimes we can forget, hey, the verse for the day that I studied this morning or, or last night, and, and I just like the idea of putting it in front of us all day and just seeing little bits and pieces here and in Scripture. And why? Because, man, in that, when the Holy Spirit helps you and I to, to read a passage or a verse, you find yourself hanging on every word of that verse you read. Yeah, you just, you just enjoy this is the Word of God and God has something for me today in His Word and, and I want to glean out as much as I can and you and I hang on every word. The promises within those verses, they literally leap off the page into our hearts. The descriptions of God puts us in awe of our Heavenly Father. The holiness presented there in the Scripture humbles us and it makes us feel unworthy. The stories we read about that even one verse or several verses can give us, uh, they uh, tell us of God's goodness and His provision, and in turn they cause us to rejoice and praise Him. And sometimes there's a verse that, that we read or a passage, and God gives amazing comfort and encouragement and peace. Now listen to me. You and I can do that very thing with the Word of God and, and we can read a verse and we can read a passage and you and I are on the, uh, on the edge of our seats because it's God's Word and, and we know how much our heart yearns for it and we desire it and we know what it can do in our own lives and how it can empower us and encourage us and help us all along the way. But I'll tell you, my friend, you take an unsaved person, you can read the same verse and the same passage and you know what the response is? Ho-hum. That's boring. Just a bunch of words on a, on a page. And yet you and I, we hear the verse and we're like, woohoo, I love that verse. You know, you and I, what do we have? Listen, what do we have? Well, some of us have what? A life verses. We have verses that we've clung to and boy, they've gotten us through the worst valleys and they've gotten us through the most difficult times and they've carried us all the way along. God's word is something special to you and I as believers. I love 1 Corinthians chapter, I wouldn't call it a light verse, but 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 10, in the first part, it says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And I'll tell you, that's a verse I cling to all the time because there ain't no way that I'm going to make it in life that I'm doing anything good outside the mighty power of Jesus Christ. 
and we cling to those verses, and yet you take an unsafe person, <laughs> they don't have life verses, they might have a life song. They might have a life phrase. They're just hoping to get through. See, God's Word doesn't mean anything to them. I sure am thankful tonight that because I'm a child of God, I am of the Holy Spirit, I can understand God's Word. You and I can comprehend it. The Holy Spirit enlightens us. You see, to the unbeliever, it may be boring and pointless. It may be a waste of paper and ink. But they are spiritually dead. And these, oh, they, like you and I, this is alive. And they're spiritual words. They're easily discerned and embraced by those who are spiritually alive which the Holy Spirit is the divine agent of regeneration. Causes you and I to be alive in Christ. Now notice verse 6 again. There's a difference, right? We've seen it already. Carnal-minded is death. Spiritually-minded is life. Notice I stopped. Notice the next part now. Not only is it life, but it's life and peace. Verse 7. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God. For it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. Now that's quite a statement. So we move on and uh, you see it here. Paul uses the word enmity um, to show that an unsaved person is a rebel at heart. And, and Paul's really already established this, I believe, in the, the prior chapters that we have seen. We, we would say this, let her see, he is at war, he is at odds with God in heaven. The old nature's lack of submission and surrender, as we have seen already presented in chapter 7, it renders every person, every unbeliever, hostile against God or towards God. We are well versed in the Bible. There can only be one Lord, one master of a person's life, of a person's heart. That's what Paul is essentially stating here. When a person is carnally minded, God cannot be and is not on the throne. If a person is unregenerated, as we see in chapter 7, chapter 6, there's no way that Jesus Christ can be on the throne. He is not ruling. He is not the one in charge if they do not know Jesus Christ as their Savior. And that's where it says they indeed cannot be subjected to the law of God. Notice what Paul had already stated, though. One of the favorite verses we've come across in Romans is Romans chapter 5 and verse number 1. He says, therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. The carnal person, unbeliever, at war with God. He is enmity. And you can say whenever you read enmity, it means they're an enemy. And that's true by meaning. He's at enemy. He's at odds with God. He's an enemy of God. But you and I, friend, because we're saved, we're spiritual. My friend, you and I are at peace with God. Paul's making a very vital point. You see, you and I are at peace with God. And in that, we enjoy a divine peace. That not only uh, is for all of eternity, but it flows into every nook and cranny of life here on earth. For the one that is trusted in Christ, that's been justified by Him, as Paul wrote in Romans chapter 5. Isn't this true? 
Okay, and, and many of us who are parents, we get this, and, and, and I'm not picking on children, we certainly know adults who are like this. Isn't there a big difference between two people? Two people who are at peace and two people who are at war. I mean, isn't that a big difference? I mean, yeah, you take two children or two adults that are at odds, at war, man, you know it. <laughs> you pick up on it. When they're fighting or whatever, I mean, they are at war. There's a big difference between those and, and two people that are at perfect peace. Aren't you thankful tonight that you and I are at peace with God? I, I, I mean, you, you take that picture, and that's literally every unbeliever you and I will meet tomorrow, that we'll meet the rest of this week, they are enemies with God. They are at odds with God. I, don't, I, I can't fathom going through life at odds with God. I can't. I sure am thankful the majority of my life I have lived at peace with God. And it ought to move us to maintain a temporal, practical peace. Because we have eternal peace based on Christ. And yet, you and I need to make sure that there's no sin in our lives that ruins the practical, present, temporal peace in our lives. What a woeful and terrible life is lived when a person is at odds with God. See, that's a description or a characteristic of the life of an unbeliever. But for a moment, may we take a, an application for us as Christians. You see, take a Christian who relapses into this carnality. They, allow their, they don't renew their minds with God's Word, and they kind of slink back into carnal thinking, as, as Paul has already described, and think about what happens to that person now listen to me paul gave a description later we've already established this chapter romans chapter 8 he's not really speaking of carnal christians but we understand there's a great implication of someone who is a carnal christian who slips back into the old Uh, for such were some of you and boy if you're not careful if you're not walking in the spirit you can slip back into some of that worldly carnally thinking and acting in fact, Paul said that in First Corinthians. Again, I told you we'd be here. Chapter 3, he says this. Wherefore, and I apologize for the two quotation marks. I don't know how that got there. Um, and I, brethren, could not speak unto you. And it actually starts with the word and, by the way. And, and, and I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as, as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. Now, we've established, haven't we? We've established that uh, in messages before, there's a big difference how I talk to my son Ryan, who's a baby, and how I talk to you. I mean, there's a big difference, isn't it, how we talk to babies? I hope there's a big difference in how you talk to babies and how you talk to dogs. I hope so, because literally Paul's saying that, listen, hey, you have slipped back. In fact, we might say these Christians in Corinth, they've never grown up. They're babes in Christ. And they still had some of that carnal thinking. They, they allowed adultery and other things, immorality in their own church and other things to go horrendously wrong. They abused the Lord's Supper. We could just go on with a long uh, litany of lists uh, of things that they had done wrong. And, and here they are carnally minded. And my friend, how, how do we see the church at Corinth described? Was it a place of peace or was it a place of chaos? Chaos. That was a messed up church, man. Starting in chapter 1, Paul's addressing, trying to fix some things. Why? Because here's what happens. An unbeliever's at war with God. They don't know peace. They are living lives of chaos. You and I as believers, if we relapse into carnality, the old nature, guess what we get a taste of? 
chaos. The war with God. Carnality, if we might describe it as such. We had a taste of that lack of peace. That status of being enmity with God in our actions, not, as Paul puts it here, not obeying the law of God. But there's a difference in verse 7, isn't there? He says this, notice it, because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. And here's the good news, because you and I are of the Spirit, we can be subject to the law of God. And you say, well, what does that mean we're subject to? Does that mean that we can now, oh, great, there's another law placed? No, no, no. What he means is this. You and I can subject our th- ourselves to the law of God. We can literally obey the law of God. You and I have the power through the Holy Spirit to do what God asks us to do. But in our relapse into carnal living and thinking, we get that bad taste in our mouth. And that taste of a life without a practical peace with God. And being and living in a place of opposition to God. You ever, I'm trying to think of something maybe in my mind right now. Um, you ever taste anything really spicy? And you're not a spicy person? And that spice just sticks with you? You drink uh, milk, you eat ice cream, you eat bread, trying to take away that. Or maybe there's something you tasted, and man, it tasted horrible. In fact, I think I was talking to, I think it was Angie in the hospital on Monday. And, and you know, sometimes people with antibiotics, you can get that metallic taste in your mouth. That kind of doesn't go away. Man, it's just, oh man, it tastes terrible. And it just kind of sticks with you. You know, I think sometimes it's good for you and I to have a taste of in our mouths spiritually. Is what it feels like to be at odds with God. What our lives were without God. How they were chaotic and how uh, there was no grace. And there, boy, my life was falling apart. And, and we hear testimonies of that, don't we? Of people who come to the Lord and like, I had nowhere else to turn. My life was falling apart. And, and I came to the Lord. And, and boy, He just changed everything. It made everything anew. And we get five years and 10 years and 15 and 20, 25 years down the road. And, and sometimes we lose that taste in our mouth for how good we have it in Christ. What it was like to be at odds in opposition to God. Now I'll tell you, my friend, maybe you're like me. <laughs> maybe you were saved at a young age. Goodness, I grew up in a pastor's home. I was saved at the age of six. Never tasted alcohol. Never smoked. All these things. You think, ah, what kind of taste can you have in your mouth? What kind of taste can I have in my mouth? I was saved young and I didn't it really experience that much. Listen, my friend, every single one of us without Christ are sinners doomed for hell. We are at odds with God. And I'll tell you, I don't care if you're a choir boy or you are a prisoner in a penitentiary. When Jesus Christ comes in, He changes everything and He makes us anew. And when He makes us anew, it may not be you have tons of regrets in your past, but this one thing you can be sure of, you no longer have to face hell. You no longer have to be at war with God. And you have the promise of heaven and peace with Him. And my friend, I'll tell you, that ought, to, that ought to stay in our mouths for a while. To the day you and I graduate to heaven and we see our precious Savior and our Heavenly Father, we ought to remember what it feels like to be at odds with God. What it feels like to have our ticket punched for hell until Jesus Christ came along and saved us.